0: Well, I'm excited about this final Standing on the Promises sermon. I'm a little sad the series is ending. I've really appreciated it, and we've, we've had a lot of feedback from all of you about appreciation for it. I'm excited about our next series starting next week in the morning, but I'm excited about this sermon because we're finally going to look at the theme verse for the whole series. Uh, we talked about how God has given us his very great and precious promises. And that idea has propelled us forward in this series. But now we're going to be reading the context of those words. And it's in 2 Peter 1 verse 4. We're going to focus especially on 2 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4. Uh, where We're going to read the first four verses of 2 Peter and find out what exactly God is saying to us here when he tells us that we have his very great and precious promises. Before we read, let's pray. 2 Peter 1, verse 1, this is God's holy and infallible word. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then three and four is our special focus. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That is God's word for us this morning. We've explored a lot of promises in this series. We had just shy of 20 total sermons, I believe, but 20-something promises altogether. But in doing that as a church, we've only scratched the surface of the 3,500 total promises in the Bible that at least one person has estimated. The promises of God, I'm calling this sermon the golden chain of God's promises. The promises of God are like a golden chain that you can trace through the Bible. The very first promise is in Genesis 3 where we read about mankind's fall into sin. Immediately after the fall, God comes in that darkest of moments in history. He comes with a promise that he had a plan for sin, that someone would come down the road who would crush the head of that serpent. More promises came as history went on to God's people. After the flood, in the time of Abraham, in the time of of Joshua during the time of the kings and the prophets of Israel, until that great promise from Genesis 3 was fulfilled in Jesus coming to this earth to conquer sin and death and the grave on the cross and in the resurrection. And then the New Testament, like the old, is filled with all of the promises that we have in the Lord until finally in the very last chapter of the Bible, in the book of Revelation... We've got the final promise. The final promise in all scripture. You know what it is? I am coming soon, says Jesus. He's coming again. He's going to make all things new. The first promise is about Jesus coming. The final promise is about Jesus coming. And all of the promises in between are about Jesus especially. As he is the focus of the Bible, as he is the foundation of our lives, the rock of our salvation, the center point of all of history, Jesus is ultimately what all the promises are about. They're about him. They're fulfilled in him. They're from him. We can trace a golden chain of God's promises all throughout the Bible. We can spend a lifetime enjoying those promises. But there's also a chain In our verses, if you caught it, that verses 3 and 4 I said we're going to focus on, listen for it. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You heard the throughs. It's a golden chain of sorts. It's a beautiful chain. It's held together by the idea of God's great and precious promises. And God offers this golden chain as something precious each one of us can have. Peter wrote this letter like his first letter to Christians scattered around the Mediterranean world in the first century A.D., These Christians had struggles. They had problems. They had issues. They had problems from the outside. They were being persecuted for their faith. They lived in an incredibly hostile pagan culture. And they had problems within too. Paul talks in this letter about false teachers trying to get the church off track. Other letters in the New Testament warn other churches about other issues in the church that can creep up. Troublemakers, lack of unity, gossip. We see threats today to the church from without, from within, and they can make us as God's people unsettled, concerned. It can weigh us down like it did the Christians in Paul's day. But Peter comes along with this letter to bring encouragement to believers. He addresses them and us who have received a precious faith. We're called to remember that when we fret. We're called to remember that with our worries. And we're called to remember that we have grace and peace in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And... We've got the great and precious promises of our God. And that's something precious for these babies, one of which remains right now because of nap time and other issues. As parents, you wonder how you're going to raise these kids. You think about that sometimes, or maybe don't try to think too far ahead, but I know you do. The future looks challenging. Turns out you have something bigger than your mistakes as parents. You have something better than offering them tons of possessions. You've got the great and the precious promises of God. And and we can imagine in baptism that that's like a beautiful and priceless golden chain that we can put around their necks because of the promises of baptism in Jesus. Summer and Joshua and Alexa have a great future because they have those promises. I want to talk about what that chain of promises shows us. First, it shows us that the promises of God are anchored by divine power. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and God. So we've got all these promises. We've been talking about them. Well, how? Where do they come from? Their source is the power of God. We can have them through His power alone. These blessings, these promises are not attainable by any human method. We see God's power, especially in salvation. If Jesus is the center of Scripture, Jesus is the center of, of the promises. The central thing he came to do was accomplish salvation. We were lost. We were poor sinners. We were helpless and weak. But Peter talks to us in our opening verses, unworthy as we are, as though we're special, as those who've been given this precious gift of faith through the righteousness of our God and Jesus Christ, and that happened because God sent Jesus to the cross to make us righteous. His power was dramatically shown in that though he died on the cross, he burst through the sealed tomb, conquering sin and death in the grave. Ephesians 2, 1-3 says, Unsaved people are dead in their sins. They may be walking around on this earth, but without that salvation, without that saving power of God, we are walking dead. We're spiritual zombies. So if you're saved, it means you're a dead person who's been resurrected. And that takes power to bring a dead person to life. It takes power. It takes divine power God's power is what raised his son from the dead. And it's only that same power that can raise us up from the deadness of our sins. That immense power, his salvation, that is a gift that anyone can receive, even you this morning, by just believing in Jesus. And that power that we receive by believing, that salvation... It's not just a power that makes us saved. It's a power that continues after we're saved. Because God sends each person, each believer, the Holy Spirit. He dwells in our hearts to fill our lives with His power so that every day we have what we need for life and godliness. That's why we can have these great and precious promises. That's why they're a sure thing. They're anchored in nothing less than the power of, Of our Almighty God decades ago there was a Welsh woman living in a remote Valley in Wales workers went through a lot of difficulty to get electricity installed to her home she was the only consumer at that time in the whole region so it was extremely costly it was really expensive they did it she had the power after three months they noticed that the meter showed she was barely using any electricity at all. And and so they asked her about it. What's up with this? Was this worth your while to have that power installed to your home and available? And she said, oh yeah, it was worth it. I switch on the power every night to see how to light my lamps. And I, I light my lamps and make sure there's oil in there. And then I switch off the power. So with unlimited light and power at her disposal, this woman still continued in the old way, trimming her wicks, filling her lamps, when she could have saved a lot of time and had a lot more light by using all the electrical power at her disposal. You and I can live like that woman in our lives, forgetting The divine power that is our disposal. It's 24 7. It's as close as our hearts, where the Holy Spirit lives, says the Bible. Sometimes the weight of our sins, the weight of the world, our life can drag us down and make us feel powerless. We muster up all the strength within us and we still feel weak. We still feel useless. And Satan loves this. He wants us to feel unempowered. He wants us to have spiritually listless lives. But then we remember that God's power has raised us up out of the deadness of our sins. means you can boldly live for Jesus without fear. Life can't beat you down. People can't beat you down. You're not helpless. You've got divine power in Jesus. You've got energy from God for your marriage, for parenting, to conquer those sins, to climb that mountain, to bust through the barrier, to face your future, to heal whatever your past is. Those promises are anchored by divine power. And secondly, this morning, they're accessed, through our knowledge of Him who called us, their access through our knowledge of God. You know, we say, "Hey, that divine power for people—that sounds great." But why am I not experiencing it? Why am I not standing on the promises? Why are they not real to me in my life? The knowledge of God is a key, apparently. The knowledge of God apparently is important. Verse 2 talks about grace and peace being ours in our lives through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says divine power comes through our knowledge of Him who called us. So then we got to ask, do we have this knowledge of God? It doesn't mean, do I beat everybody when I pull out Bible Trivia? Though that's a great game, it's fun to win at any game, it's wonderfully valuable to know lots of facts about God's Word. But this isn't a mere intellectual knowledge. You could study the Bible, you'd have all the facts down, but that does not capture what Peter's talking about here. Knowledge in the Bible is a personal knowing. It's like knowing your best friend. It's like knowing your spouse. When we believe in Jesus, He's in our hearts And then we're called to know him, to develop that relationship with him so that it deepens day by day by day. I knew my wife, Sarah, when we got married. We started getting to know each other with a phone call, me in Southern California, she in West Michigan. I'm not going to get into all the details, but we started getting to know each other at that time. We sent letters. Then, after a while, we lived near each other. We dated. We got engaged. And by that time, I knew her quite well. I knew she was kind and loving. I knew that she was beautiful inside and out. But this December, we're coming on 18 years of marriage. And you know what? I know her so much more than I did before. I know. I don't think I knew the extent to what a wise counselor she was. I didn't know how patient and full of grace she is. And, and I trust with greater knowledge of me, her appreciation has deepened too. I really hope so. Do we know God more than when we first believe? Think back to, to when you professed your faith in church Or when you first asked Jesus into your heart, maybe as an adult or for a lot of us as a young kid, do you know God better than you did at that time? Do you know him more and deeper than five years ago? Are you experiencing more of his goodness and grace and at times, you know, maybe the gentle correction of his spirit when you need it in your life? There's a relationship between a knowledge of him who called us and us experiencing the promises. We know God more when we spend time with him, when we hear his voice by reading his word, when he hears us as we reach out to him in prayer, thanking him for the blessings depending on him in the hard times. In the context of a close walk with God day by day, growing in knowledge of him, That's how we truly, really experience the promises of God. You're not feeling the promises? You doubt the promises? Trust me, there are times that we all have that as believers. But if this is a continuing issue in your life, the first thing you need to ask is whether the problem is maybe on your end. Because I knew one thing, he doesn't change. Is your relationship with Him where it should be? Are you prioritizing personal and family quiet times and devotions with the Lord? Are you prioritizing prayer, God's Word, worship, serving others in your life? Or are there places we need some shoring up? Our verse goes on talking of this knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And that's a good addition because we're reminded Even in our calling to know him more, God graciously reminds us of his work. He has called us by his glory and goodness. He's done the work. And that's a big, encouraging picture for us to have, even as we think about our lives, we're reminded of our own weaknesses. And it means, if he's the one that called us, that the divine power is in us to do this. Because of what he did first, we can respond, we can thank him for what he's done by seeking to be near him, by wanting to know him more. This God who loved you so much that he sent his only son for your sins. So I encourage you to to go to him, to seek him. Don't let other things crowd out that relationship with the Lord and and you'll experience more the, the promises of God day by day. God's promises, they're anchored by divine power. They're accessed through our knowledge of God. And finally, the promises will activate godly living. This is the result. Verse 4 says that through the promises, and this is kind of heavy stuff, through the promises you may participate in the divine nature to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And what what does that mean? You may participate in the divine nature. What's that all about? Well, it's certainly not that we become God, but it is saying that we become like God. And that makes sense if you think about it. If you think back to creation, what the Bible says about it. That's what we were created to be, to be like God. God in certain aspects. God in the beginning, he made all things. Then he made men and women as the only creatures who were made in the image of God himself. We were set apart. We were made for something great. Creatures that could have a relationship with God and that God could have a relationship with. Made in his image means that we share in some aspects of what God is like. We're certainly not all powerful. We're not everywhere present. But like God is love, he is holy, he's good. We share in those things. And those are just some of the characteristics that we share being made in his image. Sin damaged that image of God. But now, because of the power of God in salvation, that image that has been distorted is renewed. And we can become what God created us to be because he's restoring and he has restored our nature. If something is in your nature, you can hardly help but be that way. There's some people from when they're very young have artistic gifts. And those can be developed, they can be learned. But a true artist, it seems to me, it's like... That's like in them somehow, and it just has to come out. My second oldest, Hannah. I don't hope this doesn't embarrass her. My second oldest, Hannah, can jump really high. It's like inner nature because as far back as we can remember, she would jump trying to reach the doorposts at first. And then I would hold my hand up high. She would try to reach that. She got that. Then she graduated to the ceilings. And now she uses that for like the long jump, for basketball, for volleyball. And I suspect in the school hallways when no teachers are looking, but I'm not sure of that. You know, I think God just put it as part of Hannah's nature to be a leaper. She can't help it. When God... Restores us back into a relationship with Him, restores that nature distorted in sin, then it will just ooze out of us bearing His image because His nature is being restored. We can't help it. Of course, we don't, God's nature doesn't just ooze out of us perfectly. Our old nature, this side of heaven, still tries to rise up, but that new nature is in us, and it can't help but come out. A believer wants the things of God. Goodness, and, and kindness, and gentleness, and patience, and, and a grace towards other, others, and, and holiness, and, and forgiveness. And we could go on and on and on. God's promises will activate godly living. And, and so it is with the precious and great promises of God. They're anchored in divine power. They're accessed through knowledge of God. They activate godly living. And you know, there's something else on, on my mind, on my heart as we... Close this series. Just something to be clear about all of this standing on the promises that we talked about, that's for believers especially, but standing on the promises is something for more than just Christians. Standing on the promises, us standing on the promises, that's what our world needs. You know, sometimes we think. I think as believers, I think churches, that that we sort of need to accommodate to the world in an effort to understand the world and reach it. And so we think, let's use the world's ideas to figure out how to lead the church. Let's use some world's ideas out there to figure out how to do worship that will attract people who don't believe and have no faith and all sorts of things. But I feel like that's exactly what the world does not need more of itself, more of its own ideas. You think? The world doesn't have the answers. The world is floundering. The world needs something out of this world. And so do you and I, of course. Depending on divine power, seeking a knowledge of God, living godly lives, those things might sound foreign to you, old-fashioned, counter-cultural. Well, you know what? That's because they are. It's because we need the promises of God, not promises from people, not promises certainly from politicians. You and I standing on the promises. That's what the world around us needs. It's what these babies and all our children need, parents every single one of us, even if you're not a parent, proclaiming the promises of God, really, truly experiencing them in our lives so that they too will learn to stand on the promises and not just be kids who sit on the premises of the church. A church standing on the promises of God. Our community right here needs a church like that. I want to belong to a church like that. God can use a church like that. May he bless us in our lives, filling us with his promises. And may we reach many people as we stand on the promises, putting the focus on him and what he has done and his great and precious promises for us our whole lives through. Amen.